Welcome to the Wealth Matters Podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. Welcome to Wealth Matters Podcast. I am going to talk to Jeremy Goodrich from Shine Insurance today. Jeremy, how are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Excited to share a little bit about the risk management and the insurance world with your listeners and pull back the curtains just a little bit. No, that's great. So, and and, and just to um, just something about Jeremy, he's the commercial real estate insurance advisor who has been teaching investors how to buy and protect properties since 2013. He's the owner of Shine Insurance, which aims to protect some of the top real estate investors in the country. And he's the creator of the new Home Buyer's Guide. So we are going to have fun today. Uh, Jeremy, we always start with this particular question. Tell us Mm -hmm. something interesting or funny about yourself. Well, I guess something interesting about me right, right now is I am currently like obsessed with the sport of pickleball. I just Oh, this is something which is gaining a lot of popularity. Yeah, oh. I've always played tennis. I love, you know, ping pong. Yeah. I play badminton, I play racquetball. I I love racket sports. And I always looked at pickleball. I was like, well, that's kind of what older people do or whatever. Right. That's right? how it started. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago and uh, some friends were like, hey, you want to play some pickleball? And we hit around a little bit. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is easier than tennis. So I can like yes. do some of the things that my brain thought I could do in tennis, but I never actually could. <laughs> but it's challenging enough that it's still really, really fun. So now I'm like in a league and I'm my oh, wife wondering wow. where I went. And, you know, there's there's all this stuff going on around pickleball. So that is something interesting about me uh, as it stands right now. So this is great. Um, I, I felt like I'm talking to my mirror, uh, not about pickleball, but I love racket sports. You know, growing uh-huh. up in India, it was all about cricket cricket yeah. cricket but uh, when i moved here um, i you know and and before then i was watching a lot of tennis in india but we didn't mm-hmm. have courts so i picked up tennis when i studied here and i loved the sport so much and of course i played a lot of badminton back home and ping yeah. pong so uh-huh. i i squash and racquetball so i i love racket sports and right now my kids are getting trained in tennis and badminton because uh-huh. that's what you know, I enjoy. So I'm like, if I should be able to play with them, right? So <laughs> I am actually looking at pickleball because we bought the kit and everything. I haven't played, but yeah. I see that it's gaining momentum. We have a lot of courts opening up all around us. I'm like, yeah. something's brewing. <laughs> it's great. And and if, you're, if your kids are taking tennis lessons and stuff like that, then they'll probably be better than you at pickleball. And that's really nice, you know, connection with your kids and stuff like that. So yeah, I think it's a great sport. I understand why it's taken off. Oh, okay. That's no, that's pretty cool. I, I will have to play now. <laughs> Absolutely. So how did you, um, I saw in your bio, you started uh, since 2013. Mm. How did you get started with insurance? So my first career as an adult uh, was an elementary school teacher. I taught for 13 years in third and fourth grade classrooms. I taught math and English and how to read and how to write. And uh, I did a business project every year that was about how to start a business and grow a business. Oh, I taught really nice. Kids how, to, how, how to play hockey. Um, and during that time, I met my wife and business partner, who is a third generation insurance agent. 
So oh. an agency, her dad sold, bought that agency from her grandpa. And then her dad sold that agency to uh, a national conglomerate as many independent insurance agency owners have done at this point. And so my wife didn't have any ownership in that. She was managing it, but didn't really see a future there. And I was kind of ready to move on to something new. And so we decided to start Shine Insurance in 2013 and really try and change the way people felt about insurance by simply coming from like an education mentality, like a teacher's mentality. So could we do this thing that's in this industry that's kind of looked down on from a perspective like a teacher, just educate and help and make this work really well. So our intention is to make smart insurance simple. And we've been doing that. We started with homeowners and uh, I've always been interested in real estate. So I started with homeowners. Then I moved into residential investors, one to four family investors, house hacks, stuff like that. And now I focus uh, primarily or really 100% on commercial real estate investors. We have a national program for investors in the multifamily, retail, office, industrial, and self-storage. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. So um, let me ask you this, because now you are insuring investors. Do you also invest in real estate? Absolutely. So I am a passive investor. I don't have any interest in being an active investor. I've always felt like it's a second job and I don't need a second job, you know? So my belief from a financial perspective is that you always need an active income unless you're independently wealthy already. You need an active income that you're using time and trade in some way, shape or form, whether that means you're a W-2 employee, whether you're self-employed, whether you're a business owner. Uh, obviously, all of those have different levels of time commitment, but you have some kind of active income, and then you turn that into passive income. You take elements of the money you make, the addition above your expenses, and you put that into passive income that ultimately the goal is to make that passive income take care of all of your expenses, which is when you're financially free. And so um, that's what I'm doing. So yes, I'm a passive investor in multiple uh, apartment deals. Um, And I'm fortunate enough to see most of these deals from the inside as I'm underwriting it from the insurance perspective. Right. You're like, I will only invest if you insure it through me. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Kidding. That's absolutely. Well, I want to know that those properties are properly protected. And so right. to uh, be able to do that, I need to be the one doing it. Yeah, absolutely. No, and, and that's great. This is what I teach and preach that all of us got, will have some kind of active income, but that mm-hmm. will be there. That may not be there at some point. Right. you got to start building as many passive income streams as possible. Yes. And that could be semi-passive as you investing directly in real estate. Or, you know, investing with syndicators like me. So I also uh, do the exact same thing. As you mentioned, I have my own Bitcoin mining fund to sell storage fund to we invest in mobile home parks to multifamily, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of investors invest with me. And I, I, I recommend them that try it out. If you think you want to be active, buy a property or two. See if, it, right. it, if that's what you want to do. That's how I did when I started. And I realized oh, I started enjoying uh, you know it more than my IT gig. Like, this is what, you know, I enjoy. I want to do this. You know, I, I'm turning 40. I want to uh, do something which I enjoy for the rest of my life. Yeah. So, but yeah, you got to build multiple streams of income. 
Absolutely. And it sounds like you've got that down and you also are diversifying even your passive income, right? I heard self-storage, I heard multifamily, I heard a few other things. And so diversification, you know, we're always walking that balance, right? We want to be invested in the thing that is both the most safe and the most profitable, that sort yes. of golden egg. And at the same time, we don't always know what that thing is. And yes. it's often changing. Multifamily is a little yes. bit different right now than it was two years it's, ago. It's, I, I don't invest in a multifamily now. As you know, right. everything's changed, right? So right. it's exactly how you put it, right? You mm -hmm. got to, it's changing. Uh, then mobile home park took over. I think mobile home parks also changing slowly now that yeah. in a couple of years, they may not be a viable investment, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so um, same thing, self-storage right now, senior housing uh, has a lot of uh, good opportunities. It really does. I think it's a, that old metaphor that lots of people have talked about where if the crowd is moving one way, you need to be moving the other. Exactly. And that takes a lot of research, that takes a lot of knowledge, and mostly that takes a lot of relationships, right? Knowing people who have the, the inside <laughs> scoop, it's always going to be a gut move. Um, but can give you a sense of where things are going so that you can decide for yourself on your financial picture and what makes the most sense to you. No, that's that's awesome. So let's talk about insurance now. What Absolutely. is the number one insurance mistake made by property investors? What do you, have you seen? Well, I think we have to start just one step above that to really understand what we're talking about when we're talking about insurance, because insurance is a tool. Insurance is a tool that we use to manage risk. And we have to understand risk management first. And maybe this is one of the mistakes is we just see insurance as a commodity, as a thing we need to buy, as a thing we need to go out and get yes. four people to quote for us. And then we take the cheapest one because we're trying to get it into our pro forma as low as we can get it into our pro forma so we can show better profits. And we miss the entire picture, which is how am I as an investor managing risk as a whole. And I have four quadrants of risk that I would love to share with you if you're okay and your listeners, sure. just to frame that. And then we can dig into the insurance piece because insurance is a tool for the first quadrant. And quadrant number one is, is a physical risks. Yes. So you have buildings, you have the property itself, and then you have injuries to employees or tenants or people like that, right? So the first quadrant of risk as a commercial real estate investor is the physical things that have potential risk for you. The second quadrant of risk is relationships, whether it's your GP team, whether you're building like you are with a syndication, you know, you're putting together a GP team and you have relationships and associations. You know what you get out of the deal if you perform and everyone else has the same thing, whether that's your relationships with your tenants, the relationships with other service providers, the relationships with general contractors, the second quadrant of risk is um, relationships. And the primary tool that we use in that quadrant is contracts, is written relationships that we have with each other. What happens if someone wants to leave the deal? What happens if you don't pay your rent and you're still sitting in an apartment? What happens if you don't fulfill the project you said you would fulfill as a general contractor? The more we have written in contracts, the, the less risk we're taking on in that quadrant. So physical risk and relationship risk are the first two quadrants. Am I going too fast? You want me to stop? No, no, this fast? is great. Uh, okay. So yeah, the first one, I think it's more for the asset protection, right? Yeah. And and that's very important, but I hadn't thought of the second one relationship. No, this yeah. is great. Uh, continue. And so, so the third quadrant is external. 
So this is the markets. This is taxes. This is politics. This is elements that are external to your business plan. And those are things that you cannot control except at the point where you decide where whether you want to make the investment. At that purchase point is your management of external risk. If you buy in a town that is primarily uh, employed by one uh, yeah. military base, right. you know, you're taking a really big risk there. And once you make that purchase, you do not have control over that. So external risks are risks that you can't control once you are in the game, but you can control whether you get in that game at that given time. So the third one is external. And then the fourth one is my favorite. I'm a nerd for this stuff. And it is systems. I believe as business owners and everyone listening to this show, if you're a commercial real estate investor, or if you're an investor of any kind, um, you know, you, you have a business around that for the most part, right? Maybe if you're a passive in investor, we'd argue maybe that's not a business, but many active investors have businesses and the systems systems that you put in place will uh, decide whether you have success or if you don't have those systems in place, you know, failure is much more likely. And in a business, any kind of business, you can break that into really three parts. And that's simply marketing, sales, and delivery, right? And so uh, we want to look at those three pieces for a su successful business. And so the risk to a passive investor in the systems area is, okay, what am I investing in? All right, how are their systems working? What do their systems look like? Do they have uh, a funnel that works really well? Do they have a machine that's running well? How do I know that the people I'm investing with have systems in place? And so that goes back to standard operating procedures and workflows. I, I could talk for hours and hours yeah. about systems <laughs> and I won't do that. But I think it's important for your listeners to, you know, your question was, what's the biggest mistake that investors make with insurance? And the answer is not understanding it at the not understanding the role that it plays in your risk management strategy for your business. Oh, that that is great. Uh, that is such a great explanation. So, my understanding is again, I may be wrong, so correct me. But the insurance plays the quadrant one, right? The physical risk. Yeah. And the, and the rest of the part, uh, rest of the quadrant, or or um, the the a relationship or the system or process, uh, operating procedures, mm -hmm. how do in investors make sure that they are in place, right? When they are investing, maybe they are in buying the property um, on their own, or maybe they are, you know, investing with other syndicators mm -hmm. or operators. So no matter what, what quadrant you're in, it's the same process. There's three steps to figuring out risk. And that is simply, you first have to identify the risk that you have. Secondly, you have to understand the risk more deeply. And thirdly, you have to decide how you can manage that risk, right? If we buy a property for the first quadrant, for the physical side, right? If we bought a $10 million property, didn't need a loan because we somehow had $10 million sitting around, and we just decided not to even think about uh, the fact that a fire could happen or a tornado could right. happen or because someone could be injured, we could have not identified a risk. This is an easy one, right? Because right. we all know that stuff would happen. But we, when we're doing that, we're identifying, hey, there's a risk here to my $10 million. It's that a fire could happen on my property. 
okay, well, how can I understand that more deeply? And that digs into making sure you have safety systems, making sure you have things set up that avoid that risk. But still, no matter what you do to avoid that risk, it's still possible that someone turns on their stove in their kitchen and their dog jumps on it or whatever and a fire happens. You cannot understand fire enough to make it go away. And so that takes us to the manage. Well, what can we do? Well, there's a system in place where I can pay someone $50,000 a year and they agree that if a fire burns down my apartment complex, they'll pay the $10 million to rebuild it. I can pass that risk on from myself to another company. That's obviously insurance, but that is to under, that is identifying, understanding, and managing the risk. So if you take that to the third quadrant, external, right? Well, we do this all the time in our due diligence process. If you think about an offering memorandum from a broker, what are they laying out in that OM? Well, they're saying to you, here's what the external risks are, and here's why you don't need to be concerned about them. If someone, I remember a deal uh, that was a pretty hairy deal in um, Montgomery, Alabama. We didn't end up doing it, um, but the the folks that I was talking to were thinking about doing this basically vacant 150 uh, unit apartment building in Montgomery, Alabama. That sounds pretty risky, right? And it says, well, you think about the third quadrant of risk. Wait a minute. What are the external factors that make a 150 unit apartment complex um, totally vacant? And so we're trying to identify the risk. And as we come to understand it a little bit more, we say, well, there's a big apartment right next to that one that's fully occupied. There's another big apartment right next to it that's fully occupied. It's a state capital. The area the apartment complex is in seems pretty good. We've got multiple different employers in this space. People are moving into this space. You know, we're what are we yeah. doing? We're understanding the risk. We're understanding the external risk. And as we dig deeper, we find out, well, the investors who owned it before, who are selling it now, were international investors who are right. looking to just tap it for capital right. and sucked it dry over the course of six years before ha- having it down to nothing. So now we understand the external risk that applied to this situation. So what does that mean for our deal? Well, it's still pretty risky. You've got a fake yes. 150 unit apartment complex, but maybe the external risk isn't as bad as you thought right. because yes. you came to understand it. Now you know how you can manage it. So using those three things, identify, understand, and manage, you can apply them to any of the four quadrants of risk to minimize the risk in making bigger, more quote unquote risky decisions. Oh, this is great. So when we buy a property, right? And usually I would have insurance. If it's a residential, I, I, I have insurance agents I work with, or if it's commercial, of course, I also go through certain insurance brokers, right? Mm-hmm. In, in, and as you said, you reach out to them, two or three of them, you go through the court, not some most of the time people select the cheapest one but usually you are supposed to compare so to make sure you are not comparing apples to oranges right right uh, sometimes you'll have more coverage better coverage less deductible all those factors but listening to use it seems it's it, you know the i think and, and when i remembered your bio you mentioned insurance not insurance broker but insurance advisor mm-hmm. so this is similar to having a CPA versus a tax advisor. So I have tax advisor now. I don't need someone to just file my taxes. Mm-hmm. I need to make sure that I am, you know, taking advantage of all the tax benefits available to me as an investor. So 
why do you call yourself as an insurance advisor? I'm, I, I kind of understand now, but what all do you bring to picture uh, other than just, you know, finding an insurance company and, and insuring my property? I love that question. I love that you noticed that different because I, I think it's so important. Um, you know, some of it is this high level talking about risk management, but also it's just the role that I want to play on the team. You hit the nail on the head. Um, we we treat our lawyers a certain way. They're, they're expensive, but we understand the role that they, we play. We would never go out to five different lawyers and say, hey, I want each of you to send me your best tenant lease and I'm going to look at the five tenant leases and I'm going to decide between them. And then the one that I pick is the one that I will pay and uh, we'll go forward with that. That's yeah. ludicrous. That's not how it works. <laughs> and yet we turn it around. That's exactly how we navigate insurance. And I think that what I'm always trying to coach, especially newer investors, is how to pick your service team members and the concept that what you're looking for is an advisor, especially in your insurance roles, as you would with a CPA, as you would with a lawyer, as you would with a property manager, as you build your team. We talk about this in the commercial real estate world so often, building your team is so important. And yet there's some places we just want to cut corners. And so if someone comes to me, I, I just had it happen uh, 10 minutes before we, we got on this podcast, where someone sent me something that was clearly a bidding request. Will you bid this 150 unit apartment complex? And I responded, uh, as I always do, I appreciate you reaching out. This simply isn't what I do. Um, I'm not interested in battling other agents because the same thing happens every single time. Right. And I can explain kind of a little bit, just pulling back the curtains for your listeners, because they're saying, well, sure, Jeremy, you know, it would be great to just be you and not have other competition, but competition is good. What happens, though, is when you go out, let's say you go out to four brokers and you're going to give them all the same information. The first broker is going to go out to all of their companies and block the market. It's called blocking the market. And in commercial insurance, once someone has submitted to a company, no one else can submit to that company. So if I'm the first person, I go out to Liberty Mutual, I go out to Nationwide, I go out to Travelers, I go out to State Auto and all my other companies that I have, and I block all of those companies. The next folks that, that the investor goes to have very few options. And so the second person might be like myself and say, hey, well, I'm not even going to get involved in this because I know how this goes. Um, if you're ever interested in really establishing a relationship and building that, give me a call back. So that person's gone. And then the last two people, they know how much money they can make. You know, insurance, commercial real estate insurance policies are expensive. You know, generally yes. commercial uh, insurance advisors make about 10 to 13% of the premium oh, that you okay. pay. So if the premium for a given policy is $100,000, we're talking about $13,000 that that agent is thinking about making, right? Right. And so those that third and that fourth agent, they say, well, all my best companies are blocked, but I still want to make that money. I still want right. to go out. So right. I'm where are they going to go? Well, they're going to go to lesser companies. Yeah, second go to companies, tier, third tier. <laughs> second tier, third tier companies. And they're going to come back with a quote. And guess what? That quote is going to be $5,000 cheaper than the best quote that the first agent came up with. And so this happens every single time. I say that about 80% of real estate investors uh, have insurance policies that will fail them when they need them most. And this is exactly why, because when you ask for 
brokers to go out and battle, you get the worst of the worst on the, you know, and then that, that's the best price. And it's just really hard to tell the difference because no one listening to this ep- episode is a commercial real estate insurance advisor, right? Yeah. Um, and you're trying to be the expert. It's again, like trying to write a, a contract, a tenant contract by yourself. It just doesn't make sense. Right. No, and this is such a great example. Now I understand why, because I could, I was thinking about, um, you know, an incident, I think three, four years ago, where I reached out to two, three agents, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, I was in that market new. And then the mm-hmm. first agent gave me quotes from Nationwide and all that. And the third agent gave me, he said that I can give you this, get get you this quote from Nationwide, but it seems I cannot issue the policy. Mm-hmm. till you know you reach out to the first agent and ask him that you are not interested anymore so right. now I, I now i understand why because most probably that first agent had a block some kind of That's so 100%. you know yeah. uh, the third agent could not uh, you know issue the policy and and i policy was much better with third insurance agent because he understood real estate investment so yeah. i went with him but now i i can see why so Let's talk about, because you mentioned about service team uh, and uh, and mentioned about building one. Why is a quality service team so important and how do I build one? So there's three E's to a successful business and they, they go like this, e- education, experience, and entourage, Right. So for your listeners who are on this, listening to this podcast, maybe have never invested in real estate before, are just trying to absorb all the information they can to make good decisions on their next steps. That's the education, right? And you're learning all the way along the way. There's great investors who have thousands of doors who are still learning some new thing that they want to get to. Maybe it's learning about a new asset class like self-storage or a new way to invest their money or a new way to you know figure something out, whatever it is. We're always learning, and that's the first step. The second step is experience. There's nothing better than buying a property and getting the experience from that property. Now, you don't necessarily want to fail on that. I would suggest, especially if you're going big, to connect with other people, and that's the third E. Um, But you're getting experience, right? And someone who has 10 years of experience is inherently going to be better at doing anything than someone who's doing it for the first time. And so if you're educating yourself for 10 years and never do anything, you're going to be way worse off than someone who didn't educate themselves at all and just went out and bought a property and probably made big mistakes at the beginning. But 10 years later, they're figuring it out and they're better, right? So education and experience are the first two E's to a successful investor's journey. But to answer your question, the third is entourage, right? Education and experience are not scalable. The only thing you can do with education and experience is make yourself better. And then you're limited by your time, right? Entourage is what scales your business. The ability to have other people and and successful people around you is what scales. And I'm sure you talk about that all the time. So when it comes to service team, that is why service team is so important because for scalable businesses, you have to know that when you have a problem, it's not yours to solve 90% of the time. It's someone else's to solve your job as the investor is to figure out whose it is to solve and have established those relationships already. So that service provider solves it quickly, solves it correctly, solves it with the least amount of 
investment as possible and ultimately takes you to wherever you need to go on that element. And so it doesn't matter which thing we're talking about. You've got to have the right service providers in those positions. And I see investors that have, you know, 100, 200, 300 doors and beyond, they start to get this. A lot of investors at that 70 to 100 doors space uh, have been doing it all themselves the whole time. They've been able to pull it off on their shoulders, right. maybe with bad service providers, maybe by <laughs> bidding out insurance, doing things like that. But you cross a certain threshold and you just yes. don't have time to look at 10 insurance quotes and figure out which one is the best, nor is it the best use of your time. And so that may have been a long-winded answer, but that is the answer to why it's so important to have those ser service team uh, members uh, on your side. That's awesome. So, and we are talking about insurance. So how can I forget this particular question? <laughs> what is the craziest claim have you seen and how did it play out? So many of them. I, I think <laughs> one, one of the, uh, one of the, just the kind of funniest claims, I guess, uh, is, uh, ha have you ever had deep fried turkey? Have you ever eaten a deep fried turkey? Uh, that's a good question. I I am plant based. I'm vegan, so I have never okay. had turkey. So in never my had life, that. But... So there's 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 a way Sorry. to cook turkey, which is uh, you dip the whole turkey. Usually okay. you dip, you you cook a turkey by putting it in the oven, right? Right. Um, yeah. But there's a way where you take a hot vat of oil. Whoa. You know, a, a hot vat of oil, and you dip the turkey into the hot vat of oil. Okay. It cooks the turkey much more quickly than an oven. And it tastes a lot better. It's almost like frying a whole turkey at the same time. So lots of people love turkey like this. I've had it a couple of times. It is very good. Um, but it's not a great idea to do that in your kitchen. If you know anything about hot uh, grease or hot oils, if they're connected with a flame, they create a grease fire. And so I got a phone call uh, on Thanksgiving night. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> one time from a, a property owner who said, hey, there's been a, a big fire. Nobody was injured. Uh, everything's fine. In fact, it didn't burn down the whole property. Um, but it was because someone was deep frying turkey in their kitchen. And if you're if you don't have a visual in your head right now, just go to YouTube and search deep fried turkey. And there's plenty of <laughs> videos that show you the problem with doing this in your kitchen. Um, so that was probably the funniest one. The interesting part of that, that was a $50,000 claim, which doesn't sound that like that much, but they were able to put it out pretty quickly. Most of that loss was actually smoke damage to every fabric item, uh, that was a part of that environment. Um, oh, because wow. just everything because was ruined smoke, by the smoke. Yeah, 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 exactly. I, I hate the smoke. <laughs> No, this is great. So last question before we take a break, why 80% of real estate investors aren't properly protected and how do you fix that? So it really comes back to that process that I went through uh, with going out to brokers and getting different quotes and then ending up choosing the cheapest quote. The, the biggest problem is you don't understand, you know, everyday person doesn't understand the details of an insurance policy and so, you know, it's it's like an example I have from a, a $500,000 loss that someone came and talked to me about. Another fire, a fire in their apartment complex, okay. took out uh, a couple of units. And um, they had previously done the exact process that I just broke down earlier in our conversation and had gotten the cheaper policy, the cheapest policy that was offered. Right. You know, that policy, I'm going to say some nerdy terms here. 
Um, but that policy had ACV coverage instead of replacement cost. It had a co-insurance oh, clause. Yes. It was underinsured. It had a much higher deductible than ACV the is the current one value, did. right? Uh, well, yeah. A so ACV is so ACV. If you imagine that you have to replace a roof, let's say you have right. hail damage to a roof, and it's going to cost it's one building in your apartment complex, and it's going to cost fifty thousand dollars to replace. Replacement cost coverage would pay you $50,000 minus whatever your deductible is. If you had a $10,000 deductible, then it would be $40,000 paid out in the claim. If you have ACV coverage, they say, yes, it's going to be $50,000 to replace this roof, but the roof was 10 years old. Yeah, the current actual value. Yeah. We're going to depreciate <clears throat> for the age of the roof. And of course, you can't go out and buy a 10-year-old roof and put it on. You know what I mean? That's just not how roofs no, work. Not with this inflation. <laughs> now, right now, even, even the 10-year-old yeah. roof would yeah. be expensive. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe somebody's out there selling 10-year-old roofs now, you know, with all, yeah. but, uh, uh, you know, so it just doesn't make any sense. So what it does is depreciate uh, off of the claim. So, you know, then you get even less money in a claim situation. Um, Coinsurance is simply a penalty for underinsuring. So sometimes investors say, well, it would cost a million dollars to replace my property, but I'm not going to have a total loss claim. That's very unlikely. Mm. Let's just insure the property for $600,000. Um, it'll be cheaper. It'll make my insurance cheaper. And that's how I'd like to do it. Well, that's perfectly fine logic. And it, it does make sense. But insurance companies have figured that workaround out and created a penalty for that. Uh, so in that uh, example, you insured for 60% of what you should have. So in a claim situation, any size claim situation, let's say it's a $50,000 claim like that turkey example, the first thing they would do is 60%. take 40% off of it. Wow. Yeah, they'd multiply the claim times <laughs> 60%. So then you're only getting 60%. Then if there's ACV coverage, you're getting that detraction, you know, taken down. And then if you have a $10,000 deductible, you're getting that taken down. So you can see how you could have a $50,000 claim, think that you should be paid $50,000. And after all is said, said and done, you're getting three or $4,000. That's crazy. I did not think of that. So, but I always get the replacement coverage and I also get the coverage, which is little more than the current value of my property. That's very smart. Is that yeah. a good thing? Okay. Yeah. I just wanted yeah. To you sure. definitely, you know, you definitely want to make sure you have at least what you feel and not the current market value. Yes. It's important to say, but the current replacement yes, costs, which exactly. if you really want to know, like have a general contractor come out and say, hey, if yeah. this building went 100% down, how much would it cost me to replace it? Yeah, yeah, because the current market value, if you have to really replace that damn thing, it's going to be way more than the current market value. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Often it is. It depends on where it is, I guess. Right, you know, yes, um, true. Uh, probably in California, in San Francisco, the replacement cost is much lower than the market value Correct. because market values are high there. Yeah, very true. Um, much <laughs> yeah so it depends on where you're at that, that, that is true yeah. oh, this is awesome thank you so much jeremy for throwing a lot of golden nuggets with us let's take a quick break and after the break we'll go to the same questions i asked you're listening to the wealth matters podcast the wealth matters podcast for more info about what we do check us out at wealthmatters.com it's wealth w-e-a-l-t-h matters m-a-t-r-s 
wealthmatters.com welcome back to wealth matters podcast i had a lot of fun with jeremy we he explained about how insurance world works how risk management needs to be taken care of and how you really need an insurance advisor working with you if you are in the commercial real estate world so thank you jeremy for that are you ready for fire round i'm ready i'm ready for fire round let's do it would you be changing any investment or business strategy because of inflation or recession and we know either one is here to stay for some time yeah i, I think that um adjusting assets is something i'm certainly looking at but I, i think more 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 specifically i believe that i just am underwriting deals that i'm thinking about getting involved in in a very much more minute way where as maybe a year ago i could make some mistakes i feel like right now i can't make as many so i really want to understand the asset managers the business plan and the process folks are going in before i put money into that deal I agree right now we have we have to be conservative. Mhm. Favorite real estate or finance or any other related book. So, you know, I'm going to go a little bit outside of the box here and go into kind of a marketing book um that is a Jay Bear's book and it's called Talk Triggers and I think for anybody who runs a business um or invests being able to talk about the things you do or do things in your business that are interesting and other people talk about is incredibly important and so i would suggest talk triggers by jay bear uh, a great kind of business marketing and business philosophy book i will have to check that out cuz mm-hmm. you know we always get asked what do you do and then we try to explain and then the other person loses interest right a lot of time yeah. so yeah Absolutely. So this is cool. Mm-hmm. Any tool or website you recommend or you cannot live without? Uh oh, a lot. I mean, I I can't live without Trello. Um I'm not tied to Trello. There's other there's monday.com, there's yeah, Asana. But I there's can't many... live without Trello either. <laughs> I use it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Trello is uh, all my systems are built on Trello. My standard operating procedures are built on Trello. Uh, our workflows that our team use are built on Trello. So, uh we are our team as a whole is in that piece of software uh all day long every day. So, I certainly couldn't live without it. any advice for beginner investors i think those understanding those 3 e's that i talked about in our conversation on the podcast the education experience and entourage the better you build all three of those up together yes listen to podcasts yes read great books yes go to bigger pockets or wherever and learn your information but get those reps go out and get on a deal if you want to get into commercial real estate figure out how to find a deal and then find people who have money find people who have experience find sponsors and key partners that can help you get through that process. process ultimately start to build your entourage from the beginning lots of people will have a phone conversation with you or a zoom conversation that are a lot further along in their journey than you are and it's time to establish those relationships keep those relationships foster those relationships and build those relationships even deeper as you go along oh this is great how do you give back So we focus on homelessness in our community and so uh we have a program called the Rise by Lifting Others program uh every uh insurance policy that we sell a portion of that premium goes to addressing homeless homelessness in our community and uh, so I I give back by doing that I give back by serving those organizations as well in our community um you know in a variety of ways How can my listeners reach out to you 
So if your listeners are underwriting commercial real estate deals, particularly apartments, you can go to shineinsurance.com slash ballpark. There's a quick a nine yes or no questions uh, where you get an immediate ballpark that can give you a sense of what the insurance cost will be for that property. You can put it into your pro forma and it just pencils a lot better. Shineinsurance.com as a whole, you can certainly find me there. I'm on LinkedIn and our podcast is called Managing Commercial Real Estate Risk, where we talk about mindset and the capacity to limit our risk and unleash our profit. This is great. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for your time today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for giving me an opportunity to share a little bit with your audience. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing.